Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Well, here we are. We're in June. Welcome, everyone, to the Positively Trek podcast. I am one of your hosts, Dan Gunther. With me, as he is every week, is the wonderful, the handsome, the terrific Bruce Gibson. Bruce, how's it going today? Yes, thank you. Thank you. It's good to be here. As always, so glad to be on Positively Trek with you, Dan. Yeah, definitely. And, and you know, what a great way to kick off the month. Just sitting here with a good friend talking about Star Trek and, and bringing this podcast each week. I find it amazing, you know, 112 podcasts, we're in this now, and we haven't missed a week yet. You know, I, I kind of keep reflecting on that, that like, this has worked. We're, we're continuing to do this. I'm really happy about that. Well, I'll just give a quick plug to a show that I just recently was a guest on called Star Wars Bookworms, and I have been Ooh. listening to them for quite a long time. I'm friends with both Teresa and Aaron. And actually, the first time I met them, I was wearing a Star Wars Bookworms t-shirt because I knew I was going to see them and I wanted to impress them with my t-shirt. Look, I'm a fan. I support the show. But anyway, they haven't had me on until recently. I'm on episode number 124. And it was so weird when he introduced the episode saying, we're at episode 124. And I'm thinking, I've been listening to them for at least six years, seven years, maybe eight years, something like that. It's been a while. And they're on episode 124. And here we are recording episode 112, and we've only been on for a little over a year, and I had to tell him on the show, well, yeah, we do multiple episodes a, a week, and it's weekly. Their show's only monthly, so, and plus they've missed some months every once in a while, so it's a little different, but it's weird to think of a show that's been on for multiple years, and we're almost caught up to them in just a little over a year. That's crazy. Yeah. And I mean, I'm not like trying to brag or anything like that. Just the format of what we're doing is a little different and we have different things covering different aspects of, of the franchise and stuff. But yeah, it's funny how fast that number got into the triple digits. I'm, I'm pretty pleased with that. I think it shows people that we don't have a life outside of this. That this, this is, is true. All we do. <laughs> Absolutely. It is so pitiful. If you find a podcast that's up to 100 episodes in a year, the poor souls just have nothing else better to do. <laughs> I think that's exactly right. Uh, so before we get into kind of the feature discussion today, which, you know, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to talk about friendships in Star Trek. So I'm excited for that. But before we get to that, I want to bring something up. And uh, this is just something I've that's come across my plate in, in fandom recently. I'm part of a group on Facebook, and I, I can't say the full name because we want to keep our rating in Apple Podcasts to not be explicit. So this will probably be bleeped out, but it's, it's called Star Trek Posting, STSP for short. Uh, it's a really fun group on Facebook, lots of members, and recently... There was someone who posted something along the lines of, boy, I wish women liked Star Trek. I don't think I've ever met a real woman Star Trek fan. What? And 
I know. I know. It's ridiculous. And of course, this person is just lambasted by the group. And there are so many women members of that group and fans of Star Trek that have just like really pushed back against this. So what's happening now, and it's been a couple days now as of this recording, every time I open Facebook in the morning, I'm bombarded with multiple posts of women Star Trek fans posting themselves in cosplay, posting themselves at conventions, watching Star Trek, sharing Star Trek with their friends and family. And I've got to say, it's just the most wonderful thing. Like, I just, I love seeing people passionate about Star Trek, sharing their fandom with the world. And if nothing else, this idiot who posted this thing has kicked that off. So I, I'm, I'm thankful for that because I'm loving seeing all of these posts and stuff. So uh, if you get a chance and if you're, you know, don't mind crude humor and stuff, check out that group on Facebook, STSB, Star Trek posting uh it's a lot of fun and it's i I just love the community there for the most part there's always some you know people that pop their heads up and act like idiots but the group is generally very good about kind of uh quashing that and focusing on the positivity of the fandom which of course is what this podcast is all about so i feel like it's a really good fit i mean for someone to say oh i wish there were female star trek fans <laughs> i don't know if they were just trolling or not but anybody who's into star trek in the fandom should know that there is a big population of females women girls that are into star trek that are just as big as guys maybe even bigger i i don't Absolutely. know what the ratio is i mean my gosh the whole campaign to save star trek in the 60s was done by b joe trimmel who she is a woman <laughs> like, yeah <laughs> and i mean if anything from what i've read from the early days especially of star trek it was the women that were really keeping it alive with the fanzines and fan fiction and clubs and stuff i mean men were doing that too but it seemed like a lot of the women were really behind those absolutely and i'm so glad you brought up b joe trimble because i would love to do kind of like a focus on her for an episode at some point because her story is incredible uh, her and her husband, but mostly her, w yes. were really behind that push. And it's it's so cool. Such a cool story and such an amazing woman. So I'm so glad you brought her up. Yeah. I mean, come on. Fandom is everywhere. So I don't know where this guy's coming from, but that was an interesting post, Dan. I, I wish I would have seen that. There's every so often there's somebody who who just sticks their neck out and <laughs> the group's response to them is always so much fun. And you'll see posts like months later referencing people being idiots. And if you've been in the group for any length of time, you're like, Oh yeah, I remember that one. <laughs> well, yeah. Even documentaries about the conventions and stuff. It's not like all you see is a bunch of guys. Yeah, <laughs> you know, absolutely. Like if you've ever been to a convention, just stick your head up and look around. Like I don't, I don't get where he's coming from, but uh, I'm going to introduce him to the Trekkie girls and then he'll know. He'll know. There you go. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, that's, that's another group of people we have on our list list of people to approach to be guests. Yes, so. that mm. would be fun. They're a lot of fun. Yeah, they're really cool. 
Well, let's move on to our main discussion topic this week, which, like I said, is the friendships in Star Trek. And in this case, I'm talking about like the platonic buddy-buddy type relationships that we see throughout Star Trek. I have a list of pairings and Bruce, you and I were talking before we started recording. And I'm really curious to go through this list with you because you were saying uh, maybe I'm missing a couple and maybe there's one or two on here you don't quite agree with. So full disclosure, I came up with this list by myself. Bruce hasn't added or put anything in, so he's going to surprise me with some of his insights on this. So this That's should right. be a lot of fun. That's right. I'm ready to go into this. It's going to be interesting because I know we're going to miss something that somebody, oh, totally. people are going to point out to us or people are going to point out that we're wrong on something. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Those two hated each other. What the heck are you talking about? They're never friends. Yeah. Uh, so let's, I, I think let's do this chronologically. So let's start with the original series because uh, there's, there's one friendship and I guess I'm starting with a heavy hitter, bringing out the big guns. First of all, we have Kirk and Spock which has kind of been shown to be like this quintessential friendship, this relationship, the famous I have been and always shall be your friend at Spock's death in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. That kind of line has resonated through their relationship and that sort of thing. So Kirk and Spock, what kind of friends are they? How do you rate them as, as bosom buddies, I guess? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I used to love that show, Bosom Buddies, with Tom Hanks and Peter. Oh, gosh, I forget his last name. Anyway. That is what popped into my head, too, as soon as I said that. <laughs> <laughs> but when I think of Kirk and Spock, you know, to me, they really represent the idea of friendship that has carried on through Star Trek. They're the ones that started it all, you know? I mean, the fact that in some ways they're opposites because Kirk is so passionate and he can be full of so emotion and Spock is that logical, more reserved person that I feel like they complement each other really well. And there's that manner of respect between the two of them that I think that they see something in each other that they wish they were more of in a sense that I think that's why they get along so well. So it reminds me of when I started at Penn State University, when I was in the dorm, I was uh, roommates with a guy who was in the military. And he was all, you know, regimen and everything has to be in order and shoes polished and everything clean and orderly. And not that I was a messy person, but my bed wasn't necessarily made every day, especially you couldn't bounce a quarter off of it, you know? And I was more of this goofy, immature guy. But what started to happen is we were complimenting each other and we became really like the best of friends that we then got an apartment the next year together and all that. And I remember years later, he said to me that he has become more loose and feels like he can be a little more fun and loose than he used to be and joke around more. And I became a little more serious and regimented and made my bed more. And stuff. So we kind of compliment each other and inspired each other and kind of met in the middle. So I kind of think of that like with Kirk and Spock. I like that. That's really insightful, especially your idea of, of them seeing something in the other that they wish they themselves had. They really are kind of two sides of a coin. I, I don't, don't know if I want to say the same coin, but they're, they're kind of the yin and yang a little bit. You know, there's, there's some other relationships that kind of factor into that as well. But, you know, Kirk and Spock really do have this kind of things that fit into each other. And I know I said uh, earlier platonic relationships, and there's a certain segment of fandom that will jump down my throat for 
not mentioning Kirk, Spock, slash fiction, but, you know, that's, we'll put that to one side because that's non-canon, but, you know, I acknowledged, I acknowledge that, but, uh, yeah, Kirk and Spock, the, the whole, I always think of the scene in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan as well, from earlier in the film, where an emergency situation arises on regular, they get the distress call, and Spock says, of course, Jim, the ship is yours, and... Kirk says, no, that won't be necessary. And Spock says, you proceed from a false assumption. I have no ego to bruise. Commanding a starship is your first best destiny. Like Spock sees Kirk for who he is. He sees the real person and, and the true depths and knows him, you know, and only a true best friend knows another person quite like that i think so it seems like in the movies is when that's mostly played up their friendship but it yeah. does it does peek out in the original series as well so i i love these two well you know we could be on this all day so we'll try yeah. i'll try to move it could be its own this. topic yeah <laughs> but i i it made me just think of something that i know some people are going to roll their eyes at and dan you may even roll your eyes at me for saying this but when it comes to the kelvin timeline movies okay hmm we see the beginnings of their friendship, of them meeting in the first movie. And then when we get to Into Darkness, we see that similar type scene on The Wrath of Khan where, you know, Kirk's on the other side of the glass dying and you know all the criticism behind that. But forget about the criticism. Let's just look at what was put together uh, in the writing of this in the story. And the way I always viewed that scene is... It does seem too soon for them to have that close of a relationship, that kind of meaning. But there was always something that I saw in the first Star Trek movie when older Spock had his mind meld with Kirk. Mm -hmm. And I think what Kirk learned from that is he tapped into how much of a friendship and that emotion between Kirk and Spock had in that original timeline and how their friendship built that I think he gathered from that experience of, oh my gosh, Spock is so important to me or will become so important to me. And I think in the year leading up to Into Darkness, Kirk really worked with Spock to build a friendship and to show Spock that he's there for him and Spock's need of losing Vulcan and his mother. And I Absolutely. think that's why that friendship probably developed more intimately and faster than some people think it should have i think it's because of that moment with older spock in the mind meld yeah no that's a really good point and you know spock even kind of the older spock kind of spells it out for the audience when he tells kirk you know it's a friendship that would come to define you both i think is the, is the line and yeah that that's a really good point i really like that for sure now for all i know the writers didn't intend that but i just saved them I love it. Absolutely. So this is a, a bit of, might be a point of contention now, kind of moving on from this, because I was trying to come up with other friendships in the original series. And the original series is such that the leads were basically Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. And, you know, the case could be made for Kirk and McCoy, of course, and Spock and McCoy. But I was trying to kind of think outside the box there a little bit. The The minor characters are ones we don't get a lot of time with, but I think there's hints that there might be a bit of a friendship between Sulu and Chekhov. So I did put them on the list here. Uh, a lot of this is from sources outside of the films and television. We see them kind of hanging out in the comics and, and having a friendship that way. Uh, and then one scene in one film that made me think, oh, 
these two might be pretty good friends. That's Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. They are both on vacation together at Mount Rushmore in, in that part of the film that if there hadn't been a part cut out would have been explicit that's where they are but uh yeah the whole we can't see a thing and he's blowing into the communicator that whole scene so i don't know do you think those two had a had a friendship that maybe we didn't see a lot of when you said there was one part that we really see this my mind went to that scene in star trek five so yeah you know it does seem that if you were going to do another pairing in the original series outside of kirk spock and mccoy yes to me sulu and Chekhov would be the next one i mean one reason is because they're sitting next to each other most of the time (laughs) they get the little banter every once in a while in an episode i'm like oh they're kind of jokey and friendly with each other yeah and they dress the same like (laughs) exactly But yeah, I would I would pair them together, but it's not like the pairing we've seen in some other series, which we'll talk about later. It, it's not that strong because we don't see a whole lot of off time between the characters like we do with some other series to see what that friendship would really look like. But it does seem like they would be the right pairing for this mm-hmm. uh, category. Yeah, I think so. I agree. So uh, original series wise, are there any that I didn't talk about that you want to bring up? Okay, so before we started the show, I told you, Dan, that there was a couple in here that I feel like should be on the list, and you kind of already mentioned it, so I do feel like Kirk and McCoy should be Mm -hmm. on this list. I I feel that Kirk really relies on McCoy a lot for the, the, the type of conversations and friendship that he can't get from Spock. You know what I'm saying? Like... That these are my feelings where maybe Kirk can't talk about his feelings as much to Spock as Spock's not going to really understand, but he can go to McCoy and, and express his feelings or McCoy can come to Kirk and, and say, Jim, I know where your heart is, Jim, you should be doing this. This is who you are. I think that McCoy really understands Jim and they had a relationship before he took command of the enterprise. So mm-hmm. they have an older friendship, but, you also mentioned about the, the triad, which also I can see the Spock and McCoy thing, too, because that was also in the back of my head, you know, especially after I just recently read the Lost Years novel. And there's a scene in there where uh, McCoy and Spock realize that they really are closer friends to each other than they feel that they are to Kirk in that book. You know, mm-hmm. they come to that realization that they really need each other. So, yeah, you can argue the three you know, and each combination works. But I would definitely say Kirk and Spock followed by Kirk and McCoy followed by Spock and McCoy. Yeah, that's a good point. And, you know, the more I think about it, there's there's so many great scenes between Kirk and McCoy. And I, you know, one thing when I was putting together this list, I, I completely ignored and didn't think about the Kelvin timeline. Uh, and I think that relationship between Kirk and Bones in the in the younger years that we see there, I think, is very pronounced as well. But for example, in I think it's the episode Balance of Terror, Kirk and McCoy are in Kirk's quarters and they're just leaving. And, and McCoy says, you know, in all the in all the galaxy, there's a million stars and a million million galaxies and in all of them, only one of each of us. Don't destroy the one named Kirk. And I just, that scene, I'm like, wow. Like, I I just, I love that scene, first of all. And second of all, like, you get the feeling of that depth of friendship there that has to exist from before uh, they were together on that ship. Like, they, they seem like old souls together. I was thinking about that scene. Yeah, I was thinking about that earlier when I was talking about Kirk and McCoy. That Yeah, a lot of that scene defines it. 
I, although I did think of another pairing that I hadn't thought about until just now. Oh, okay. It's got to be Scotty and Keenzer. <laughs> See, again, yeah, I totally disregarded the Kelvin timeline. Not not on purpose. I just kind of forgot about it. So, yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah. When we start saying Kelvin timeline, that one popped in my head. Oh, that's great. Yeah, they're they're good pals. I like that. Yes. That's not a claim and frame. <laughs> <laughs> Get down. Well, let's uh, move on to Star Trek The Next Generation. And I'm going to say what I think is probably the biggest buddy-buddy friendship from that show. There's a few, I think. But I'm going to go with Data and LaForge. They're an interesting one because, of course, Data is very unique. He's not human. He's a supposedly emotionless android. And he and LaForge strike up a really interesting friendship that if you watch season one really gets established very early on and carries through all seven seasons where, you know, Jordy is kind of modeling the human condition and data when he's confused and has questions about what it means to be human. He's going to Jordy to find these things out. And, you know, Jordy is relying on data for emotional support sometimes amazingly to think about that that's the case, but that does happen. So yeah, Data and LaForge, I think is a really great friendship. And I think one that really defines the next generation for me and, and kind of my favorite moments watching that show as a kid. Yeah, I agree. I mean, cause they're always on the holodeck together. They're always doing things together. They're always hanging out. They're always watching out for each other. And I mean, you have to have that kind of friendship if you're going to allow somebody to put their fingers in your head. This I, is true. That, that's been my experience. Factor. Absolutely. Yeah. And if you're going to show somebody where your off button is, you've got to be good friends. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but I do agree. I mean, they're, I think they're the most obvious of TNG is that friendship there because we see the off hours relationship between the two of them more so than any other characters. So much so that I've seen online one of the criticisms levied at Star Trek Picard was them focusing so much on the data Picard relationship and saying like Jordy should have been there for a lot of that. And I don't necessarily disagree. I don't think that's the story they were trying to tell, but at the same time, like, yeah, this was an important relationship and I could see data wanting to make that connection with Jordy at some point. But yeah, I, I, I think that's, it's a very important relationship for data's life. I mean, Data can have more than one important relationship. He has an oh, important sure, relationship yeah. with Jordy LaForge, Soar. But the thing is, the difference to me is, yes, there's kind of a friendship between Picard and Data, but it comes across more to me almost like, I don't want to say big brother, but more like a father-son type thing. Like Because Picard was a captain. Like He's mm -hmm. Data's mentor, you know? And I think... Picard felt like his friendship with Data was more of mentoring him. And, and then Data respects Picard so much through that mentoring that he's really willing to sacrifice himself for the professor. You know what I'm saying? For his right. teacher, for the guy that leads him, this like almost like father figure. I'm not saying it's a father-son type relationship, but it leans more that direction than with Jordy. Jordy and Data seem like they're just more buddies. Yeah, that makes sense. Like... Yeah, pals, right? Yeah. yeah. So uh, moving on to another buddy-buddy relationship in the next generation. And uh, we haven't seen women pop up on this list yet. Certainly in the original series, I guess you could say we get little hints of maybe a friendship between Uhura and Chapel or something like that. But, you know, by dint of them being the only women, 
that are even kind of tangentially focused on at all. Uh, the next generation, we get that turned around a bit with uh, a pretty strong friendship between Crusher and Troy. So, uh, you know, we see hints of this throughout the series. It's not one that's that's really tightly focused on, but we see them working out together. We see them sharing stories together. Dr. Crusher confiding in her about a certain ghost candle incident. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> you know. We do see them kind of hanging out off duty and stuff, though. Yeah, they stretch together. They do their exercises together. Yeah, I can see this friendship. We, we didn't see as much of this as we saw the Data and LaForge in the series but they are the in the main cast they're the two only women and so of course they pair them up quite a bit yeah their roles are interesting i mean they're both in the sciences so that's good but you know they also have a good relationship a very intimate not romantically necessary at least at this point with picard I mean, Troy, mm, mm. because she's his counsel, you know, his counselor and, all, you know, she is in tune with him in very private moments of discussion of how he is dealing with things emotionally and his relationship with the crew and other things where Crusher has more of that budding relationship of, of friendship with Picard that there's the romantic hints there that continue on. So even that ties them together a little uh, in some respects, but Crusher is a mom where Troy's not. I know she briefly was in one episode, but you know, again, it's like they can maybe relate in that way too. I don't know. I mean, it's just like you said, I mean, it's like, you know, they're the two main women of the cast. So it makes sense. Yeah. And I think I would have liked a little bit more exploration of that, Yes, but the the few moments we do get, I really enjoy. So, for example, when Troy is talking to Crusher about her experience being in command of the bridge and that inspiring Troy to take the bridge officer's test to become a commander. Just those little moments like that. I would have liked to have seen more of that for sure. Yeah, I agree. I think they could have done more with that. I, I would have liked to have seen more of the two of them together. I think the new book that we're getting later uh, this summer I think focuses a little more on that. That's true. Uh, Shadows Have Offended by Cassandra Rose Clark. I'm really looking forward to that, especially as a newcomer author to the Star Trek universe. Not an established author in her own right, but first time writing a Star Trek novel. Uh, so yeah, I'm excited to see that. A Crusher-Troy focus with some Worf thrown in is, is kind of uh, how it's been marketed. Yes, we always throw Worf into everything. Speaking of throwing Worf into things... I was trying to think of another kind of friendship, buddy-buddy relationship in The Next Generation. And one that kind of came to me late that I was, you know, hey, that that's kind of a thing. I was thinking of Riker and Worf. And this one maybe not, doesn't immediately jump out as like they're really good friends. But if you kind of look at a few episodes, there's definitely that friendship there. So going from early on, I'm thinking in season two when Riker was going to serve on the Klingon ship, there seems to be this kind of camaraderie between Worf and Riker about that. Worf invites Riker to uh, do his holodeck exercising on the holodeck back in season two as well. Riker's speech to Worf when Worf wants to kill himself because he broke his back in ethics. There seems to be a really strong bond there. And then the one that really gets me every time is the episode, The Outcast. Riker wants to save Soren from her society's uh, imposing androgyny upon her, I guess, is kind of how it works out. And Worf is the guy that goes with him to res to rescue her. 
And I'm like, hmm, he was willing to go with him and break Starfleet rules and, and you know, just on the say-so of Riker. They're pretty good friends, I think. That's interesting. This is the one that I was not sure about. Like I, I, I kind of thought so. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I do think they're, they're friends, and I think all, all the crew members are friends to that respect. But like you said at the beginning of this, you know, are, are these people you know, pals, you know, I can't see them piling around as much. Like I think they're friends, but not that close, especially Worf when he takes Riker's girl from him, you know, I was going to say <laughs> there's a bit of jealousy towards the end of the series there, isn't there? Yeah. And I I don't know. And I think in a lot of ways, Peter David's Imzadi books kind of influenced my view on this a little too, mm. but no, I mean, they're definitely friends. I just don't know if I would put them on here as that close of friends like the Data and Geordi relationship. I wouldn't put it up to that level. I wouldn't even put up to the level as the Crusher and Troy. In a lot of ways, I know why you didn't include this, but Picard and Crusher, meaning Beverly, not mm. Wesley, but Picard and Beverly Crusher and Riker and Troy, there's the hints of romantic interest between both of them. But in the series itself proper, both those couples never really get together, you know, but when we see Picard and Beverly having dinner together in Picard's cabin or whatever, you know, there's that kind of friendship. But again, it, they hint to the romantic side. And of course, when we get to novels, those involved, and of course, when we get to Nemesis, of course, Riker and Troy get married. So I know why we wouldn't necessarily include that on the list. Yeah. I do want to do an episode sometime of like the romantic pairings, whether implied or you know whether they will they won't they uh, i think that would be a fun episode as well and that 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 is kind of why i was holding off on those so yeah okay well i'm writing that down well i guess that kind of takes us from the next generation i'm you know you could make arguments like you said everyone was kind of really friendly on that show you could make an argument for riker and data you know you could yeah. make argument for i don't know maybe maybe that's it i guess but <laughs> well you know wesley and the forge and wesley and data yeah that's true there's there's a that kind of a mentor thing there but also yeah genuine friendship i think as well you know i was trying to think of like how can i slot pulaski in there and it wasn't really happening so you know even ensign row <laughs> i don't know row and riker they kind of spar but maybe yeah. it's because they really like each other i don't know but anyway <laughs> yeah Rowan o'brien yeah Rowan and geordie because of their shared experience in the next phase i don't know all kind of stretching at that point i think so Row doesn't have friends no Rowan guinan maybe Ooh. oh that's a good one i like there that we one. go Yes. Yeah, I kind of like that too, actually. Actually, Picard and Guinan. I just thought of that too. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, we could really go deep on that. So Picard and Guinan, you know, as Guinan says, they were more than family, more than friends, you know, like they're a really close relationship. And uh, I, I like Rowan Guinan. I never thought of that. <laughs> no, I like that one. That's a good one. Let's let, yeah, yeah I, I like okay. that one. Because Row is a favorite character of mine. Oh, so, me too. Michelle yeah. Forbes is incredible. Yeah. She can do no wrong. <laughs> when I said, oh, Roe doesn't have friends, I was hoping nobody would take it as like, oh, Bruce obviously doesn't like Roe. No, she's one of my favorites. <laughs> oh, me too. Absolutely. That's cool. Oh, I'm glad we got her in there somehow. Uh, so let's move on to Deep Space Nine, I guess, because uh, there's a few in Deep Space Nine for sure. Uh, and I think the biggest one from DS9, which 
might be my top friendship in all of Star Trek. One, just my favorite pairing of two people, O'Brien and Bashir. I think are just a terrific friendship. We see in season one, O'Brien cannot stand Bashir. Bashir is so annoying. And we get these scenes of them just like really bristling. And then by season three, we see that kind of melting away in the evolution of this friendship. And then by season seven, they're just inseparable. They are the best of friends. They, they play together. They, do all kinds of uh, fun stuff together. They take down section 31 together, uh, you know, all of this stuff and that hug between them in the final episode just gets a little bit of a glisten of a tear in the corner of my eye because I buy these two as friends. And I think it's because we saw that evolution over seven years. It felt so real that these two people become such close friends here. This is a friendship that... I would name near the top of my list, if you ask me, for the closest friendships in any of the Star Trek series. And it's to everything you just said. And you know, they bicker with each other, but they've they always got to hang out together. And we've seen times where Keiko gives O'Brien permission to go play with his friend. You know, it's almost like, you know, there are a bunch of, you know, seven year olds or, you know, ten year olds or something hanging out at times. And they are hollow decks or hollow suites together and stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's the thing I love about that relationship is how it started off. Where O'Brien's like, Ugh, this kid, he thinks so much of himself. And, there, you know, and just Bashir drives him crazy. And Bashir's so determined, like, hey, like me. And hey, look at me. And O'Brien's just rolling his eyes. And then they become like the best of friends to the point that, you know, they don't even want to separate from each other at the end. I, I love it. it. It's a fun relationship. I, I could see more episodes with just the two of them together or read books about them together. They're, they're fun. Yeah, absolutely. And this is another one that I think could be the subject of an entire episode where we talk about Bashir and O'Brien and their friendship because it's just so deep and abiding and I love it. You know, that, that scene <laughs> where uh, they, they think they're dying. And, you know, Bashir says, you know, I, I, you love your wife, but I thought, you know, maybe you just like me a little more. <laughs> <laughs> O'Brien's like, but I love my wife. Oh, yes, absolutely. No question. <laughs> it's such a cute scene. I love that one. So. The, it's the kind of friendship where I can see Miles getting up in the middle of the night like you see a scene of him getting out of bed, Keiko's still asleep there and he sneaks in the living room and he's trying to be very quiet because Bashir's sleeping on the couch that he just crashed there after visiting. Didn't even go back to his cabin. Yeah. Oh, that's cute. I like that. Well, another relationship I think on deep space nine and, and this was another one, like I was trying to think of like other ones. And now that I'm sitting here thinking of it, I've now thought of two others that, that, I haven't put on here that I'm thinking of, but okay. I'm sure we'll get to them because I see you nodding, nodding yep. vigorously. <laughs> but uh, Jadzia Dax and Kira, I, I think that's a nice little friendship that kind of evolved over seven years. We see them kind of palling around early on in, in season one. And again, kind of by dint of them being the two main women characters, they do get paired up a lot. Uh, I, I think one of my favorites is the uh, beginning of season two where they're fight flying the Bajoran fighter together. And Dax is usually the composed 
experienced one, but in this situation, Kira's the experienced one and Dax is kind of panicking a bit. And we just see that pairing up of them every so often. And I, I really enjoy those two together on screen. The problem with TNG and DS9 is out of the main cast, you only have two female characters. Now, yes, of mm-hmm. course, Tasha in the first season of TNG, but she was only just in that first season. But then it's like, well, you only have the two female cast members, so you pair them off as friends. And, you know, if if there were more female characters, I don't know if these two would be paired together or not. You know, it's like I just mm-hmm. feel like they pair them together because they're the two female leads. But it works. You know, I, I think it works in the fact that Kira comes from a different place than Dax in the fact that, you know, Kira has has dealt with all the fighting against the Cardassians and being a rebel on her world of Bajor and all the things that she's had to deal with where Dax has all these lifetimes of experience and, and Jedzia is young and she's kind of green to things, but she brings the knowledge of Dax with her. So I think, you know, I, I think they complement each other really well because I think Dax can bring Kira down to peace, you know, with the, her life experiences and, and help relieve Kira of any strife that she's had to deal with. And so yeah. that friendship develops uh, from there. I like that. That's yeah, that that puts it really well. I think those two do complement each other in ways that, you know, I hadn't even really thought of. But uh, yeah, I, I would have almost liked to have seen Dax become a bit of a mentor to Kira to help her with coping with anger and that sort of thing but also you know maybe i'm kind of glad they didn't go down that route because they kept it a little lighter just more friendship wise but i think there's a lot that both of them could learn from each other so that that's really cool i like that yeah i always felt like when kira goes to dax like dax is the only person that kira really feels like she can just talk i mean Mm -hmm. she has her relationship with odo but that's a little different but it's like, I feel like Kara just kind of lets, not lets her guard down so much, but just can just be more natural and just, for example, if Kara was like, oh, I spilled a cup of coffee on my lap today, I feel like she would tell Dax about it. Oh my gosh, the day I had, you know what happened today? I spilled coffee on my lap and it, it just like was so embarrassing. I don't think she would tell that story to anybody else, but Dax. And I think she goes to Dax too, because Dax, yes, is another woman and they have that, you know, they can relate to each other in that way. But I also feel like it's because... I think she feels like Jack Dax isn't going to judge her so much. I feel like Kira is always trying to prove things to everybody. And with Dax, I think the old soul of Dax is just there to say, I get you, Kira. It, it, Kira, it's, it's, it's fine. You know, we're, we're cool. Yeah, absolutely. Well, <laughs> speaking of Dax, one that I left off this list and I feel like you're going to bring up, I just typed it out and I want to see if I'm correct. I can't believe that it slipped my mind. Dax and Cisco. The yes. old man relationship. Is that one that you were you were appalled that I'd left off the list? That was the first one that I looked at the list and I thought, what's missing? Wait, wait, Dax and Cisco should be on here. Yes, that is one. Absolutely. And yeah, I can't believe I missed that one because what an important friendship and and that crosses lifetimes, you know, that's pretty cool. Yeah, but you know, I can see why you would kind of miss it in a sense because uh, I don't know. I feel like, Cisco's relationship with Dax is more connected to Curzon. I mean, not to say that he doesn't have a friendship with Jadzia Dax, but his friendship started with Curzon Dax. So the friendship existed with Jadzia, but it was more with Dax, the symbiote itself, more so than Jadzia. 
And I feel like the friendship developed with Jadzia because of Dax. So it's a weird way. What I'm trying to say is his friendship didn't initially start with Jadzia Dax. It started with Curzon Dax. I feel like it evolves into its own thing, though, if right. that makes sense. Because like we do get, of course, Cisco calling Dax old man throughout the whole series. So there is that still foundation of that relationship. But he does say a few times that his relationship is different with Jadzia than it was with Curzon. And like by necessity, it would have to be. It's it's such a changed circumstance. And, you know, we see them playing chess together. We see uh, Dax going to Cisco for advice when her ex-wife of a sort comes to the station. And, you know, they really do rely on each other for a lot of uh, comfort and advice and wisdom and that sort of thing. Uh, and I love that it goes both ways because I imagine when it was Curzon and Cisco, it was pretty one way. Like Curzon was a mentor to Cisco and and much older, but now they're on a little bit more of a level playing field and they both go to each other for advice. I, I think that's really cool. Yeah. Again, yeah, I think it's a lot of it has to do with, with Dax, but they develop a new type of friendship because it's now Jadzia, you know, so... But I, I, I feel like the closeness and the bond was first there with Dax. If Dax hadn't been there, it would be a totally different relationship between Cisco and Jadzia. I don't know how it would have played out. Well, uh, I'm, I'm curious, was there an, any more from Deep Space Nine? I have, I have one in the back of my head, but I might put it in a different category. So we'll see what, what you're thinking here. Okay, I'll throw one out at you and see if this is maybe what you're thinking of, but I don't think it is because I don't know why you would put it in a different category. But Jake and Nog. Oh, <laughs> nope. Just totally slipped my mind and didn't even think of it. And uh, what a great. Yeah, I, I can't believe that I missed that one. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, we see a lot of it in the first few seasons and not as much in the later seasons, but we do. It does carry through the series. But yeah, I mean, that's that's a great relationship there because it's kids. You know, it's the only time in the series that we've had two kids that are buddies like that through a series. And so that's a lot of fun. Yeah, I think that was kind of a bit of a latching on point for kids watching deep space nine. And like I was pretty young watching deep space nine when it first came out. And I think I really connected with that Jake Nog relationship as well. So yeah, I think that that modeled some really good stuff for kids. I'm, I'm thinking season one, the Nagus where Nog gets kicked out of the school or gets pulled out of the school by Rom when the Nagus finds out that he's attending a human school. And then Jake takes the time out of his day in the cargo bay to sneak off with Nog and teach him to read. I was just like blown away by that. One of my favorite moments with young Jake and Nog. And then, yeah, that, that relationship carries on. We see them become roommates after Nog goes to the Academy and drives Jake nuts because he's so like disciplined now. And even in the final season, it doesn't come into it a lot, but when Nog loses his leg, we see a little bit of Jake's friendship there. Not so much as I would have expected, but it still does come into play there. So yeah, it's it's one that lasts the seven seasons and maybe doesn't get a lot of focus later on, but it's definitely still there. So can I guess the one that you're saying that you're holding off maybe for another one? Because I can think of maybe a couple more, but again, they're a little loose, but I'm going to say Bashir and Garrick. Yeah. 
Yeah, that is one that popped into my head, but I might be saving that for a, a different category of relationship that we've talked about already. So, yeah, I don't know. Controversial, but we'll see. Yeah. And the <laughs> only other one I would kind of argue is Quark and Odo because they hate mm. each other so much, but they yeah. really love each other. <laughs> <laughs> that man loves me. Don't you see? It was written all over his back. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect line. <laughs> oh, it's so great. What a great way to end it. Yeah, that's a good point. Quark and, and Odo, I think, are a great. Deep Space Nine is just so rich with characters and relationships and stuff. Like we could go on all day, I think, about Deep Space Nine and find five or six more. But uh, yeah, it's so awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure there's a lot more we could come up with. Well, let's move on then to Voyager. And there's one that's kind of an obvious one, I think, in Voyager and, and kind of follows the typical buddy buddy. You know, we have the Data LaForge, we have the Bashir O'Brien and Voyager. I think they were trying hard to make Paris and Kim the buddy buddy relationship of that show. And we see the, the seeds of that in the first episode where the other officers are telling Kim about Paris's history and why he's a bad egg. And Paris, you know, brings it up and Kim says, I don't need anyone to, t to choose my friends for me. So they're establishing very early on this friendship between the two of them. The way this relationship starts, it's almost like brothers. Like Paris comes across as like the older brother of Kim. Like, hey, kid, I'm going to guide you through that. I've been here. I have experience. I'm taking you under my wing. And then it starts to flip-flop at times. You know, Kim is like, you know, trying to steer Paris in the right direction. And, and so then it becomes more equal ground. And so there's almost like a brother relationship here. But this is my favorite friendship out of all the Star Trek series. Oh, wow. Okay. Because it reminds me so much of the friendships that I've had. Like Paris and Kim remind me of friends that I've had. And well, and continue to have in a lot of ways. So, I, and I guess what I'm trying to say also is I identify their friendship more than any of the others. I mean, Bashir and O'Brien is close too, but these two are the kind of guys that I would probably hang out with. Like if I'm going to be friends with a group of people, these two I definitely be with friends with that's cool. I like that. Yeah. It, it did seem very real. It was like, you know, they got kind of thrown together early on when Paris saved Kim from the incident with Quark on Deep Space Nine. And yeah, it kind of became that older brother, younger brother thing a little bit where, you know, oh, I, I've got you, I've, you know, uh, and then evolved into like a genuine reciprocal friendship, I think. And we see them, you know, doing uh, Captain Proton and Buster Kincaid on the holodeck right. and, you know, all the various holodeck misadventures and stuff, creating Fairhaven together. And now this one is fun because I think it crosses over into real life. And we see Garrett Wong and Robert Duncan McNeil now collaborating on the Delta Flyers podcast. So, you know, that that friendship, it's funny to hear the two of them on that podcast because I hear Paris and Kim joking around when it's, you know, actually the real life actors. So I think that's a lot of fun. And here I am saying, oh, they're my favorite friendship. Like those are the guys I would hang out with among any of the Star Trek series. Yet I have yet to listen to that podcast. And and I still want to. I really want to. And I actually have a tab open on my browser that's been sitting here for a while to start listening to it. And I just haven't done it yet. It's it's good. I, I yeah. I would definitely recommend it for sure. Voyager was another one where I was kind of trying to think like, okay, who else is there? 
And one thing that's kind of missing from this list, with a couple of exceptions, is uh, friendships that cross gender lines. So men and women, platonic friendships. Chakotay and Torres, there's, there's a couple episodes early on that hint that maybe there was a romantic interest on one or both parts at one point. But putting that aside... I think Chakotay and Torres make a good friendship pairing. This is one I feel like I have to defend a little bit because it's a little bit of a stretch, but they're comrades in arms from the Maquis and we've seen that. And then there's certain episodes where the bond between the two of them, I think does play a role. So for example, when they find out that the Maquis have all been wiped out by the Cardassians in the Dominion, Torres goes through a depressive episode where she's in, she's doing self-harm basically on the holodeck. And Chakotay is the one that kind of grabs her by the arm and gives her some tough love and says, what are you doing? You can't do this and, and all that stuff. And that episode in particular is one that I'm focusing on. It's Extreme Risk is the name of the episode. And... It just showed to me that like, you know, yeah, he's her first officer. He's also, you know, her commanding officer from when they were in the Maquis. But there's also this bond between the two of them where, you know, he's not going to go to the captain and and put her in for discipline. He's going to put their friendship on the line for what he feels is important to help her out in that moment. So I don't know. There, There's other examples from across the series as well, just little moments between the two of them. But that for me kind of defines their relationship. I agree. I, I, it's a lot of ways when I define these bonding relationships and remember they're all friends. We get, you know, all the different crew members. We're talking about the ones that are just like buddy, buddy pals, you know, like, or, or, or the ones that they turn to. And I can see before Taurus gets involved with Paris, who would Taurus go to if she's having a bad day? Who's she mm-hmm. going to confine in? Chakotay. And I think Chakotay, the other, same. Chakotay maybe even a little to Janeway, but I think it's more of a friendship with Taurus because they have been in the situations they had in the Maquis. And I feel like that they brought even closer together because they still represent the ex Maquis on this crew. And so they turn to each other for advice and how to lead that group of people to blend more into the crew. And I do feel, yeah, there's a, is a close relationship there. I think they understand each other's passions that they're willing to go above and beyond what is the norm And if they have to be rebels against that, they'll do that. So they have that understanding of each other. Yeah, I like that. And they they have this kind of bond outside of the Voyager command hierarchy. Like even very early on when Chakotay is pushing for Torres to become chief engineer because he really believes in her. And Janeway's like, that angry young woman? No. But, you know, Chakotay will go to Torres and say, you know, I'm trying to do this and you broke that guy's nose. You've made this a really bad day for me, Taurus. <laughs> like I, I don't know. I just, the way they interact, I really enjoy that. I think it's definitely a, on a level of friendship for sure. Yeah. And I would almost argue, the more I think about it, Janeway and Chakotay, I think developed more and more of a relationship, a, a friendship. Mm-hmm. I mean, and then again, it, it's almost like the Picard Crusher thing, you know? Well, it seems to be there's some romantic interest there. So that's why you almost don't want to put this on the list. But one thing that you don't have this list that I would put on is Janeway and Tuvok. Oh, man, that's a good point. 
I see this is why it's necessary to have a good co-host that counterbalances because you think of these things that I don't think of. And then when you bring them up, it seems like so obvious. Like, why didn't I think of that? I love watching your face light up. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Janeway and Tuvok. Great point again with the relationship that stretches back before we see them together in the series, they serve together for at least some period of time they know each other very well and yeah the very tender moments between them as good friends as tender a moment as you can get with a vulcan you know i i think that's a really good point i'm glad you said the word tender because i was trying to figure out how to define the relationship and that's it because they're not buddy buddy pals they're not like on the holodeck playing games together but yeah, tender moments. When they need those moments, they go to each other. Again, if Janeway's having a ba- bad day, more than likely she'll go to Tuvok. Maybe Chicote, but for the most part, she'll go to Tuvok and vice versa. But, you know, who's going to celebrate Tuvok's birthday, even though his age changes all the time? It's going to be Janeway. <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned the age changing thing because like, yeah, that bugs me. If you do the math in one episode, he's over a hundred, but in another episode, Janeway's like, oh, you're almost in the triple digits. And I'm like, wait, no, what? Uh, Anyway, that's a whole nother thing. We'll do an episode all about like ridiculous mistakes that bug me about Star Trek. (laughs) Oh, could you put a list together? Cause I can always make them work. That's why I like to do is make them work. And I have an answer to that, but I'm going to save it. Ooh, I like it. Okay. Well, actually, that that birthday scene comes up in an episode that I wouldn't mind striking from canon anyway, because that's from Fury, my uh, least favorite episode of any Star Trek ever. Yes. So in yeah. your head, canon, that episode doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah, it just doesn't. It just no. I'm just kidding. It was but, a yeah. dream. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's move on to Enterprise then. No, and... I want to add one more if I can. Oh, please, please do. Sorry. The Doctor and Seven. You know, I thought of this one as well, and I was thinking, yeah, it, it's it's unreciprocated. It's it's one-sided, but the Doctor has romantic feelings a little bit. But I think you're right. Like I'm, it it's completely un, unreciprocated, and I think a beautiful friendship does develop out of that. So I'm gonna I'm gonna cede that to you and say, yeah, that's a very good uh, example with the Doctor kind of mentoring Seven in social graces and that sort of thing. And uh, the, the friendship that develops from that. Yeah. And I can see why it wouldn't be on the list. You know, there's some that are so obvious and some that aren't as obvious, but again, if I'm thinking about if seven's having a bad day, who's she going to go talk to? She's going to walk into sick bay and talk to the doctor, you know, and vice versa, because they're both fish out of water in this crew. You know, I mean, Neelix is a fish out of water, no matter where he is. But when it, comes, when it comes to this crew, yeah, I feel like they they have that budding relationship. And also, because I know we've got still a lot more to go through, but real quick, I also thought about Naomi Wildman and Seven. Oh, yeah. I but that's a little that. more like, you know, adult and child type thing. But yeah, it's a yeah. friendship. Yeah, I, I, I'd give it an honorable mention for sure. Because Seven <laughs> in a lot of ways is still an adolescent. Well, moving on to Enterprise then, there's only a couple that I could come up with here. And oddly enough, they both involve the same person. So I'm curious to see if you came up with other ones as well. But uh, first of all, I'm going to go with Archer and Tucker because they have, again, like a few of the other people on here, they have a relationship that stretches back to before the series began. 
Archer requested Trip to be his engineer because they were such good friends and he knew he was a good engineer and all that stuff. They watch water polo together. They confide in each other about ex-girlfriends and things like that. They seem to be at least more so, I think, early on, but also carrying on through the rest of the series. Very good friends. They remind me of Kirk and McCoy in that sense, you know? Before they're together on the ship, they've already had this friendship going into it. And I feel as at the start of Enterprise, Trip is really the only friend that Archer has on the ship. The rest are his staff, his crewmates, you know? And so I can see that. And the fact that he calls him Trip, that Archer calls, you know, Trip, Trip. You know, if Archer's having issues and not seeing things, Trip's going to be the first one to go, hey, you know, I, I think what you're doing is wrong. You know, I, I think you need to rethink what you're thinking, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, they have a good friendship there. Yeah, for sure. The second relationship that I came up with for Enterprise also involves Trip, and this is Trip and Reed, which I think kind of follows the pattern of Bashir and O'Brien a little bit, where if you watch the first episode that they're kind of paired together, they're kind of at odds with each other. They're not the best of friends. They they kind of bristle against each other. And even going back to the pilot episode where Reed is, you know, kind of mocking Trip, keep your shirt on, Lieutenant, you know, mocking him for being like a bit of a rednecky South American South America, not South American, you know what I mean? From the American South (laughs) and, and that sort of thing. And later episodes saying like, oh, you probably only read comic books and those ridiculous science fiction novels and stuff to where by the end of the series, they're maybe not, you know, bosom buddies or anything like that, but they joke around with each other. They're definitely friends. They hang out outside of work time they would definitely consider each other friends i'm thinking of like the the three-part episode where they're aboard the romulan drone ship that has the holographic camouflage there's definitely like signs of a really strong friendship between the two of them there and they even refer back to their first season exploits and stuff so yeah i I would consider them pretty good friends all the reasons you said there yeah i would definitely consider them good friends But sometimes I feel like reality seeps into my perception because these two actors hang out together all the time. I've saw them at an Atlanta bar. So like having too many drinks and hanging out and flirting with women. It was crazy. At other conventions, I've seen them together. They're always budding, budding around. I, I hung out with them for a brief moment at one of the STLVs and Brent Spiner came up. Yeah, these guys are always like together. So like in real life and on the show, they're yeah. You know, in some ways, the actors are kind of like their characters, but Dominic Keating, who plays Reed, is not as uptight. (laughs) No, definitely not. Were there any from Enterprise that I missed? Actually, there's one mention I want to make from Enterprise that is kind of more of a missed opportunity than anything. I would have liked to have seen a better friendship between T'Pol and Hoshi. I think there's some hints of it in season one that they kind of want to go into a mentor student type relationship with them that never really seems to emerge after that, which is unfortunate. I would have liked to have seen more of that. I thought about that too. Yeah. We don't see a whole lot of that. I agree with you on that, but I would put to Paul and flocks together. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. To doesn't really have close relationships with anybody except for trip, which is more romantic relationship. 
but she's not really that close with many people. But with Phlox, like she's the one she's going to sit in the mess hall and talk to Phlox about things. Because again, as I mentioned, like with Voyager, like these two characters are the fish out of water. They're the only two non-humans on the ship. But again, it's not that budding thing where they're going to, you know, dress up as Vikings and play, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's not like that kind of relationship. It's just that they're the only ones that, you know, because they're different, they they kind of rely on each other. I like that. Yeah, that's a good point. And I have to admit this one completely slipped my mind. But yeah, there are some great moments between the two of them, like you say, in the mess hall uh, to Paul getting advice from flocks and, you know, some nice scenes in sick bay between the two of them discussing these crazy humans they're stuck on the ship with and flocks kind of giving a different perspective that helps to Paul appreciate something a bit more. Yeah. I really like that. That's a good point. And I have one more for enterprise. Oh, okay. And this is the best of friends. Are you ready? Archer and Porthos. Uh, I, I I thought of Porthos as soon as you started there. I was like, Porthos? And yeah, of course, Archer. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> Man's best friend. Absolutely. And if you read the comics, Porthos once went back in time and saved Archer. So That's true, yes. In the, uh, what's that series called of comics? Um, was it Waypoint? Yeah, Waypoint. It was in the one of the Waypoint comics, yep. All right. Well, let's move on to Star Trek Discovery. And I had one major friendship from this one. There's another one that I could think of as well and give an honorable mention. But for me, I think Burnham and Tilly are two really good friends. They call each other, or Tilly calls Burnham Rumi. They're roommates and, and they, yeah, they, very early on. Burnham kind of being a mentor to Tilly as she tries to advance her career to the point where she gets a captaincy and that kind of relationship that comes out of that, I think really defines friendship in Star Trek Discovery. You know, now that you mentioned that, I mean, yes, I definitely agree. These two friendships, they would be the first that come to my mind when I think of Discovery, but that roommate thing reminds me of what I talked about earlier of my roommate situation in university, that same thing where it was like, you know, he was so regimented and I was a little more loose and carefree and then, you know, kind of compliment each other. You bring the best out of each other, you know, you kind of help the other one. And so I like that. It reminds me of that, too. But, yeah, I love their their friendship. Uh, it, it's great. I mean, when they first met, I was like, oh, please, I hope they, you know, they like each other in this series. And they do. So that that works out really well. I think the honorable mention that I'd bring up as well that I didn't really think of when I was making this list would be uh, Burnham and Saru. I think they have kind of a bit of a brother-sister relationship uh, that's very, very contentious to begin with, exacerbated by the events of the first two episodes of Discovery. But going on from there and throughout the rest of the series, you definitely see the two of them kind of first mending fences and then becoming, again, that really close brother-sister relationship. Yeah, I can see that for sure. Because, you know, when we saw the first episode or soon the first season, I didn't know if they really liked each other. But it does show they've established that they've been through a lot together and that they really do care about each other. But they would also go head to head with each other if they need to. You know, they're going to position themselves ahead of the other, but they actually care for each other. There was a period of definite hostility between them where they were no longer friends. You know, where Saru says, you're someone to fear. 
But then I think where we are now, they're very good friends, I think. Yeah. And the only one, I mean, again, I mean, everybody's friends and okay. So this is the one that really kind of pops on my, and I'm not sure if I really consider it. It's a different friendship. It's not a buddy, buddy thing, but Adira and Stamets. Yeah. I thought of that as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, it's, it's almost like older brother, younger sibling, you know, it's mm. like, I'm, I'm not exactly sure about that one, but I do feel like there's a friendship developing there. I think so, for sure. There's definitely a strong relationship. And I mean, it's it's almost as though Stamets and Culber have adopted Adira. Like there's there's almost that level. It's it's like for me, somewhere between big brother, little younger sibling, and parent child. It's not quite at parent child, but it's right. a little past brother and sibling if that makes sense yeah yeah exactly that's kind of what i'm thinking too so yeah i wouldn't put on the buddy buddy list but yeah i it's it's a friendship moving now to star trek picard and at first i was like huh i don't know but then one immediately popped into my head and i thought of course this is a deep abiding friendship one that i love and the way it's portrayed on screen and that is between jean-luc picard and Rafi Musiker. Picard is a bit of a different situation because it's kind of a sequel to events that we've already seen on screen, but it again falls into that category of a relationship that existed before the series started and continues into the show with some bumps along the way. I think there's, you know, some hostility between them, but when it comes down to it, Having recently done a rewatch of the first season of Picard, I think this is a very deep and abiding friendship between the two of them when, like in the final episode, they admit to each other they love each other, right? When Picard is about to die and and Rafi says, I love you, and Picard can't say anything, and they separate, and he turns out, Rafi, I love you too. And just the look on Rafi's face. I, I love this relationship. I know... There's some fans out there that don't really like it. They don't like that she calls him JL. They don't like this familiarity between them. But for me, I'm like, this is the relationship that Picard needed that he never had with his crew in the next generation. I don't think this kind of familiarity between the two of them. I love that. I think it's great. Well, we don't see a lot of their relationship before this series. We do see a flashback of it, and we do have a novel and comics that touch on it too. But you have to think, when Picard was captain of the Enterprise, look how he was in the first season, and look how he was by the time we get to Nemesis. I mean, he's kind of loosened up, and he has more of a budding relationship with his crewmates that he kind of kept himself distanced from in the first few seasons. And it's like how we end uh, TNG, all good things, with, you know, he should have been joining his crewmates for poker all along. He's always been invited. He just never. And I think over time he's learned that he can have relationships with each, with, with people he works with to the point that when he gets to become an admiral, he's not the captain of a starship anymore. So, you know, Rafi is this person here who's his right hand person, you know? And so I think he was opening himself to have more of a friendship with her than a commander versus officer type of relationship. Therefore the more lax JL type of comment to, to Jean-Luc and even if Picard's like I don't really like it when you call me JL she's like well I'm gonna call you JL anyway it's like they have that kind of relationship where he's like okay you know yeah he's he's good with it you know he, they have a, a like for each other but then they have this falling out and a lot of that falling out 
has to do with friendship because they were so tight. She felt that he, betray, you know, betrayed her and wasn't there for her. And, you know, that's the only way you're going to feel if it's a friend, not if it's like just a commanding officer that you have that you just don't like anymore. There's there's emotion there. And we see them bond back together. And we see, like you said, they love each other, not romantically, but they love each other because they have this connection. Just because we didn't spend seven seasons and four films with them doesn't mean that they have a close they don't have a close relationship exactly it's it's almost a cliche but you know they say you wouldn't care so much if you didn't if you weren't friends if you didn't care about the person you would right. you know and we definitely see that play out the, these emotions are so deep because they're such good friends and because they had that close relationship so and picard is someone who admires efficiency and becomes friends with people who are good at what they do. And I think that's why they became such good friends and why he put up with her calling him JL because she produced results. You know, she was good at what she did. She was the best at what they needed to do at the time when they were putting together the rescuing Romulus plan and stuff like that. So, you know, that's how she wormed his way into his heart. You know, she's just that good. Picard doesn't tolerate incompetence. So, you know, she's amazing at what she does. So he loves her. Yeah. And then, of course, there's other relationships, of course, in this series. But it, I guess you could argue with Picard and Data. But we kind of touched on that earlier with TNG. But it's not the budding relationship like we've been talking about. But it's definitely a friendship that we touched on earlier. But we see a little more of it in this series than we did in TNG. And then even his relationship with Riker and Troy seems to be more family and friends than what we saw in the original series because they've been through so much. And now that they're not commanding each other, not working together, it opens the door that they can be closer as friends because they're not working together. And, and again, I think Picard opening himself up to that and being willing to be friends with people he was work with has created a closer relationship. But I'll let you respond to that. But I do want to say before we go on the next series, I do have one other buddy relationship for this one. Yeah, I, I, that's a good point about Picard and Riker and Troy definitely being on a different level than they were when they served together. I think that that's a great point. For honorable mentions as well, I'm going to throw in Kestra, Troy, Riker and Captain Crandall. <laughs> Even though we'd ever see him. Let me take a stab at one that maybe you're going to bring up because it's one that popped into my head as well, which is Rios and Rafi. That's because, it. Okay. Excellent. Yeah. We do see, again, they knew each other beforehand. And when Rafi is at her lowest point, Rios is there to help her through it and vice versa. Later on when Rios is emotionally uh, compromised due to, you know, finding out about the the android Jana and, and what happened with his captain and stuff. Uh, Rafi is there to comfort him as well and even consults with the room full of holograms to help try and figure out what's going on. So it is one that was like in my mind and almost on the list here as well. And I think in retrospect deserves a place on the list. I'll throw just one more in. Jabon and Laris with Picard. Oh, good point. Yes, absolutely. I can't believe I didn't think of those. Which is amazing that we're coming up with these different friendships for Picard that we don't have as many for Picard and TNG. It just shows that they've opened Picard up to more intimate relationships with people in this series. Yeah, absolutely. And and he's at a different point in his life. And, and yeah, ah, oh, that's a good one. I can't believe I didn't think of them because they were two of my favorite characters in the whole series. So great point. 
Well, they're at the beginning, so it's hard to sometimes it's easy to forget somebody who's near the beginning of a series, you know, than at the end. Well, let's move on finally to our, our final show that's aired so far uh, from the Star Trek universe, Star Trek Lower Decks. And I think there's two very obvious ones here. Uh, first of all, one of my favorite relationships from all of the new Star Trek shows, Tendi and Rutherford. I think these two are so adorable together. Uh, there's a possibility that maybe there might be some romantic thing develop in the future. I don't know. I kind of almost hope it doesn't because I love the platonic relationship between these two where they both just kind of geek out over Star Trek stuff. Like that's honestly it. Like Tendi is fangirling out over being on the Cerritos and Rutherford is such a nerd and geeking out about things not working right and level three diagnostics and all that kind of stuff. I love these two together and really anytime they're on screen together, it's so much fun. They're so innocent and so wide eyed, you know, they compliment each other so well. They're the type that if they did attend a Star Trek convention, they would be in the corner with the schedule, each going like, oh, and then we can go to this and then, oh yeah. And then after that, we've got to go over to this room. Oh yeah. And then we got to get to the dealer's room because I want to buy this. this, this. Yeah. And then I'm going to buy this, this and then we'll compare and maybe we'll swap what we have and we'll share. And you know, if you get this pin, I'll give you, I'll trade my pin for your pin. Like I can just see them like that. <laughs> like, they're just crazy. Yeah. I, I don't know what else to say about these two. Just I enjoy them so much. The the enthusiasm that they both bring to that, I think, is so much fun. Yes. Yes. They're a lot of fun, but they're not the only ones, Dan, huh? No. I would contend that on this list also Mariner and Boimler uh, should be on there. So, again, early on, contentious relationship, not really friends, but... Mariner kind of imposes a mentor relationship on the two of them where she takes Boimler under his wing, whether he wants to be there or not. Over the course of the series, I think they get closer. They kind of understand each other a little bit better. Interestingly enough, at the end of the season, though, there's a bit of a split where Boimler goes off to the Titan and Mariner is not really happy with him for it, it seems. Again, though, I think this falls under the category of you wouldn't care so much if you weren't friends. So I think I think that kind of illustrates that they've become good friends by this point. As you're talking through their friendship, it's reminding me a little of the conversation we had about Bashir and O'Brien, you know, of one wants to be friends and the other's not too sure. And you're driving me crazy <laughs> that we may see in later seasons that these two are inseparable. You know, and I love Mariner and she's like one of my favorite characters and not just in this show, but in all the other Star Trek series. Like, you know what? If I was hanging out with a bunch of friends, it would be Paris and Kim and Mariner. That <laughs> would be an interesting time. <laughs> Those would be my friends. And maybe Boimler would might be in there, too. And Tendi. Anyway, I could keep adding people. But anyway. But yeah, I mean, I, I like I like this friendship because as it's developed. She's kind of teasing him into the friendship and he's almost like, I don't even want to be friends with you, but now I'm kind of liking you and okay. Yeah, I really, really, really enjoy these relationships. Uh, Tendi and Rutherford, probably my favorite, but Mariner and Boimler, there's something special between the two of them. And Mariner, I think like you, is just one of my favorite characters. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's a lot of fun. I so. know we're missing some in all these different oh, series. Oh, I know. I mean, there's just... There's just so many, but again, it's, it's, it depends on how you want to define what we're defining as friendship, you know, because everybody for the most part are friends with one another, but just how tight 
of these friendships between certain people. I know you and I, I think, have a pretty tight friendship. That's why we do this show together. So I, I want to say that's one of my favorite relationships that's come out of Star Trek. So I'm just putting that out there. Dang it. I had written down the Bruce and Dan relationship at the end. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Love it. Well, this is the moment where I want to turn it to the audience listening. So you out there listening, who have we missed? Because I know we have missed somebody. So please reach out to us, positivelytrek at gmail.com. Speaking of positivelytrek at gmail.com, we've gotten a few responses to my question, our, our question last week, uh, asking for people to talk about their favorite starship in order to win a copy of the latest Star Trek Shipyards book from Eagle Moss. So keep those coming in. I'm really excited to read those. You have until uh, Friday of this week to get that answer into us. You just have to write into us, tell us what's your favorite Star Trek starship from any series, wherever, whatever, whatever film, anything like that, and tell us why. Give us a little bit of an explanation why. Uh, we would love to read your answer on the podcast. Let us know if you're okay with that. And uh, yeah, anything to add to that, Bruce? Uh, yeah, your favorite ship as in starship, not ship of characters. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we'll ta tackle that another time. But yeah, uh, send those in and uh, thanks for participating. Absolutely. So Bruce, where can people find you when you're not talking about the friendships of Star Trek? Well... I have been all over the place recently. I'm on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. I'm on some recent episodes of, as I mentioned earlier, Star Wars Bookworms. I'm on an episode of The Expanse, which is a Star Trek Enterprise podcast. I'm also on an episode coming up on Literary Treks. Why am I doing this to myself? <laughs> I only wanted to do one podcast. Uh, and then also, yeah, where else? And I'm occasionally on the Star Wars report, but I don't know what's going on over there right now, but I, I'm sure I'll be popping up on there sometime soon. So that's where you'll find me. Awesome. You can find me on Twitter at Kurtrats. I'm also on YouTube at youtube.com slash Kurtrats Productions. You can find me on treklet.com reviewing Star Trek novels, both old and new. And you can find the podcast at Positively Trek on Twitter and on Instagram, as well as the Positively Trek discussion group on Facebook. Just search for that. We will let you in. Great discussions happening there. We want to hear people chime in about their favorite friendships in Star Trek on there as well. And thank you all so much for listening. Thank you to the Patreon supporters for all of your help in bringing these episodes to you. We will see you in the next episode. Until then, as always, stay positive. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.